1: Welcome again, everyone, to Blog Talk Radio, to The Catch, on Tuesday nights, and uh, we are uh, in the middle of a study right now that we call Johnny's Cafe. Um, it's after the song and one of my albums from the 70s, where we talk about spending the day down at Johnny's Cafe. If you've got nothing to say to folks there, we've got nothing to say at all. So the, the whole idea behind this theme is uh, is that Johnny's cafe is a metaphor for the world that you and I live in and and the whole idea we're exploring in these uh, days and weeks and probably is going to stretch into months is um, uh, how, how do we how do we bridge that 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 chasm how do we relate to the world around us uh as believers uh, how do we go hang out at johnny's cafe what does it take in our thinking what does it take in our worldview what does it what does it take in our hearts to be able to, to 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 be out in the world as believers you know for for so long we have uh we have believed that, uh, that there's a secular world and this uh, Christian world and uh, the twain shall never meet. And slowly we're uh, chipping away at that and uh, trying to come out with the realization that there is only one world and that Jesus himself came and invaded this world and brought his kingdom to it. And you and I are in that kingdom, in the middle of this world, and what does that mean? That's what we want to f- find out. And so we've had some wonderful guests so far with this uh, very interesting topic. Um, uh, you remember last week we had Rob, uh, Rob Stutzman, a uh, political pundit from the Republican Party in California, and that was fascinating. Um, tonight, uh, I am so privileged to have uh, a gentleman who I've known for uh, casually for a number of years and, and uh, met him uh, a while back at a, at a conference we were at together. And, uh, and now I've just found out that uh, just recently that he is for the last year, starting his second year is on the faculty at Regent college up in Vancouver. A uh, Fantastic. Uh, uh College and and uh, grad school up there, um, with a great history of, of great thinking and great theologians and and uh, and uh, so uh, our guest is uh, believe it or not professor of marketplace theology and leadership at at, re, at marketplace theology and leadership at Regent College and um, we are so excited about this because uh, I. I've never heard of marketplace theology, and, and, and maybe this is something brand new he can tell us about that. But please uh, uh, welcome uh, me, join me as I welcome uh, to Blog Huck Radio The Catch, uh, Dr. Stephen Garber, uh, Professor of Marketplace Theology. Steve, welcome to Blog Huck Radio. <laughs>
0: It's good to be in conversation with you one more time
1: in my life, John. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Um, You know, this is a new thing for you. Uh, Would you just briefly tell us what you've been doing prior to this? Because for quite some time, you were in Washington, D.C. Give us a picture of what that was
0: even before that there was a time of my life when I lived on the same street with John Fisher in Palo Alto, California in the early 1970s and he was living there and I was living there and we both had reasons for hanging our our, uh, hats um, in Palo Alto but I was working on a magazine and he was playing music and and of course I knew who John Fisher was at the time and have been watching and listening to John's life and music for a long, time of my life. So when he asked if I do how this, come? Can I do this. It was almost a, a no-brainer. <laughs> thinking, well, if John asked me to do something, I would do anything. So here it is.
1: Um, <laughs> how, for thirty years, I was a professor. I didn't know that?
0: Wait a minute. I don't, I don't Wait know, a you minute. Were, you were a you were a famous guy. Were you, you at CBC? I was the twenty-year-old college dropout, actually. So living in the commune. No
1: kidding. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh, well, we'll have to talk some more about that. <laughs> about that
0: someday. Yeah. Yeah. But for 30 years. Okay, well,
1: sorry I'm, to interrupt I'm, you. That's
0: okay. And I was a, a professor in various settings over the course of years, and um, and the last 15 years, I was working with an organization. I was part of the, starting called the Washington Institute for faith, vocation, and culture, and uh, we had a pretty simple thesis, but it has complex meaning, that faith shapes vocation, which shapes culture, for everyone everywhere, so for blessing and curse, our deepest beliefs about life, shape how we live our lives, and that has consequence for life, for all of us, actually, for blessing and for curse, Um, so in all that, the word vocation was a pretty important word in that, and Along the way, I wrote a book called "Visions of Vocation and began to talk to people about those questions more fully and completely. And along the way, Regent College in Vancouver, which has had a long history of thinking about those questions, began to inquire, would Mm -hmm. I would be willing to come and teach a Regent? And my first response was, I planted four trees in my yard this year. I'm not planning to move anywhere. Um, But we did move, and about a year ago, moved here to Vancouver from Washington, D.C., and and I am a professor of marketplace theology and also direct a master's degree in leadership theology and society. So those are the two hats I wear here.
1: Wow. Um, as far as you know, is uh, is that the only place where the, even the term marketplace theology is used? Or, or is it... Uh, it's is it also, so I know it in places. the world, actually. Um
0: Um, i mean regent would would really be the first place where these questions were raised i think in the world uh at least in the modern world um Mm -hmm. there are under the blessing and gift of some foundations in the last 10 years some other places have begun thinking about these questions but regent isn't arrogant about that and that isn't the point but regent was actually begun by a by some people who had this vision of creating a graduate school for the laity. And the way they put it was a place where people could come and become as theologically mature as they were professionally competent. So whether you were a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, or a lawyer, or an artist, or in the business world, or whatever you were doing actually occupationally, um, that place where you could come and dig into theological depth and breadth to become as theologically mature as you were professionally competent. And that thread has been woven through the life of Regent for 50 years now. So what I'm doing here is not a new well, thing. It's really staring the shoulders of others who've worked at these questions before me.
1: Uh Well, Steve, talk about marketplace theology. I mean, it's a big concept. So, uh, you, you, you know, it's, it's probably the whole the whole of but what the you're strange there, but can you put words to put together, isn't it, John? The yeah, two words are mm-hmm. kind of
0: strange to hear in the same phrase actually It was so strange that a year ago when we crossed the border from the u s to Canada and had to go through you know the border control um think people at the border were filling out my work permit, which had been all arranged ahead of time, but when they filled in what I was coming to do. I was coming to teach uh, marketplace technology at Regent College because I just couldn't figure <laughs> out why the word "theology" would relation to the word "marketplace and uh, I smiled at that and went on, but it's, I would uh, say in many ways it is an oxymoron for most of us actually you know why, what would the market have to do with theology of all things, about who God is and who we are and but well, I would put it simply, to put to, to, to the simple question, what is this? I would say it's really the question of who are we and what we do and why what we do matters. So those are questions everybody thinks about, whether we've written books about them or gone to classes about them. Everybody in the world, you know, wherever they are in the world, I would say sometimes in the course of a day and a week and a month and a year is asking some question about you know, what do I do and why do I do it? What does it mean to me? Um, and sometimes, because of the sadnesses of life and the sorrows of this world, we end up doing things which seem to be a long ways from things we really care about, uh, and uh, we end up doing things which seem a long ways from the things we really would love to be doing with life, actually. Um, but that doesn't take away from the, the longing we have, the desire we have to actually spend the days, the hours of our days, and the you know the days of our years. Working at things that we think this is who I am. This is what I was made to do in the world. These are the things that I was given to care about in the world. So, um, what vocation is is really it comes from the same word that the word "vox" does or "vocal." Uh, so it's the assumption that we actually can hear someone speaking. Um, and in the Christian tradition, of course, you know our conviction would be that um, that God has spoken and that we've been given ears to hear. And so the question of Jesus repeatedly, do you have ears to hear? There's really a question about vocation. Do you have ears to hear uh, what I've called you to do, who I've called you to be? Um, and those really yeah. are the fundamental, deepest questions of vocation.
1: Well, um, what, what do you want your students to know and think about the marketplace. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what are, what are some things
0: that
1: that Mm -hmm. might help our Well, You started
0: off by talking a little bit about the, the dualism or the hierarchy we've, we teach all over the world, Mm -hmm. sadly, I would say that there are some things God cares about. Other things doesn't quite care as much about at all, actually. Um, And, uh, you know, in the musical world that you spent your life spent much of your life in, you know, we couldn't figure out how to figure how to understand somebody who truly loved Jesus and who was gift, a gifted guitar player. Was he a Christian playing good music, or was he, a you know, a good musician playing Christian music? Um, and what was all that to be? How that was that, that to be looked like actually? Um, and we stumbled over those things for a long time. You know, somebody who aspires to, you know. To be an artist, is this person, you know, is he going to make Christian art in some kind of a parochial sense, you know? Um, did a person make Christian law or Christian, you know, M&Ms, or does a Christian person, you know, what does it mean actually to, to give our own our hearts to God in service to the world, and how do we talk about it? Um, so what I want my students to, to to learn is that there are no hierarchies, there are no dualisms, there's no sacred and secular in that sense at all, really. That in, you know, Abraham Kuyper's best language, every square inch of the whole of reality belongs to Jesus who alone is Lord. Mm-hmm. Or to draw upon another tradition, the Russian Orthodoxy, See Alexander Shemelin, he would say that all of life is sacramental. So the whole of life is to be seen as holy. Um, and I want my students to actually to think those questions through, first of all, and to be able to, to in language I would, I'll use again and again with them through the year is to learn to see seamlessly, to see seamlessly so that I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, burdened by, you know, well, some things are, are really of God and some things really aren't of God. Uh, that my prayers are of God, but my my wife's kisses really aren't quite of God in the same sense. Are they, how could they be? Really? Or the bread I mm. eat or the work that I do. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, I can play a Christian song on my guitar, maybe, but is my is my guitar Christian? there would be more than, more than I can account for really. So how do you understand, you know, the, the ordinary things of life in the light of faith, uh, is really what I'm laboring for, and what I want them to begin to see over time is that they don't have to justify their their work in the world by saying, well, it's just secular work, you see, but you know, when I get off work. I can do things with my church that are really much more important to God. He cares about those things, but my work, you see, is just ordinary work. Therefore, it's just secular work. Therefore, it's just worldly work. Um, I have a friend who, you know, been a long friend, and he lunched together some years ago. He said to me, Steve, you know why I like talking to you? And I said, I have no idea why you like talking to me. He said, And he was a somebody who, who, who buys patents and you know, invests in the possibility of patents. So he has patents in your cell phone and, and mine, John. And cell phones all over the world. Yeah. He says, you know what I am to the, to the church and the parachurch? I'm a checkbook. He says they just want to make sure that I get to the meeting they're having because somebody needs to pay for it. Of course, they don't care what I did <laughs> to make money or how, how hard it was this year to yeah. make money or you know whether they made any money this year. They just want to make sure that you know I've got enough to pay for the thing they want to get done. I'm just a checkbook to the church and the parachurch. Um, he says, I think you think that what I do actually is worth talking about, that it has meaning to God and to the world. And he said, I long for that, but I don't have those conversations many, often in my life at all. Um, so that's what I care about, John, is having people who were at work in the world and who are sometimes who are pastors or people who are at work in the world to rethink, rethink the paradigm, um, as I put it to mm-hmm. pastors all over the place, if you don't preach and pray as if vocations matter to God and the world, your people aren't going to think that either. Of course, um, and they're going to think, yeah. "Well, I sit here and I'm going to pray for the missionary to Taiwan or the Bible translator in New Guinea or the young life worker in you know San Diego." Um, but what I do, you know, as an in, in, inventor or as a pharmacist or as a librarian or as a farmer or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But my part in the story is, is to, to tithe my income week by week to support things God cares about. Because who gets prayed for, things that God cares about, that's what gets prayed for. And I want to rethink who gets prayed for and why they get
1: prayed for, John. Wow. Wow. Steve, why do you think, why do you think this is so hard for us uh, to think this yeah. way? Why? Why does it seem so much easier to just categorize things and uh-huh. leave God out of half of it?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, well, you're right to put it in that way, John. To leave God out of it, because that's really what we're doing in the, in the end of the day. I mean, I could, for hours, we could talk about the world and the flesh and the devil and how those are factors that make this be difficult for us. Um, but I would say that most of the time. Whether it's the Protestant Church, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, we stumble over this literally all over the world. We we don't teach this well all over the world, um, mm. and uh, I think in, in, you know the, if if there's any deepest reason, I would say it's a, a poorly formed theology. Um, most of the time, our theology begins with Genesis chapter three, and and we fell. The sin happened, you know. Um, we don't have a theology or a story of God at work in the world that begins in Genesis one and two, which talks about God Himself first of all being a worker. God is a creator. God imagines and He brings into being. And uh, for most of us, all we can imagine is that work is cursed, you know, because the curse did happen after all, and you know, and it's, sin- it's therefore somehow part of the sinful world. And if I you know could just get done with the, the sin in my life I'd be done with the work in my life because work must have, somehow it's a part of the sinful world, well, like everything else in all the reality, work was cursed because of sin, um, but so was sex and so was you know so was prayer, and everything that's distracted and distorted because of sin um, it doesn't take away from the original purposes of prayer or sex or or work really. um so, I think that if we can sort of rethink where the story begins for us and realize that, you know, that, that uh, simply, clearly, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and uh, you're a creator. You've been creating ideas, bringing, putting them into song and tune and music for years of your life, John. You understand the work of creativity, mm-hmm. being a creator. But you're made in the image of the creator God. And that's why that works, that's, how, that's a possibility. Um, and I would say mm-hmm. that fundamentally we don't have a theology that can account for a, a life before the fall, and and even I would say at the end of the story, a life after redemption, so if the deeper, longer stories of creation, fall, redemption and mm-hmm. consummation, if that's the genesis to Revelation story um, then you know we, don't, we can't understand what the relationship would be between my loving to make music here in this world and what I might do forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, um, mm-hmm. If you ever, anybody has an interest in pursuing that at, at all, I'm the professor in the story, I remember. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, with a short story you could download on a PDF tonight, and you could listen to it. And It's called Leaf by Niggle. And it's the best story you could imagine, maybe not imagine, about what the relation is between our work in this world and our work in the next world. Um, and yeah. they argue simply that there's a continuity rather than a discontinuity. Hmm. Leaf
1: by, what was that?
0: Leaf, like Leaf, Leaf, L E A F, by Niggle, N I G G L E. And you could download it t- tonight and read it or listen to it. Um, Great. But it's wonderful. Great. It's playful and it's interesting and it's thoughtful and it's <laughs> true. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's cool. Oh, thank you for that. Um you know, our our famous uh Christian verse, John three sixteen, starts out with God so loved the world. Uh, and I think you know, I think of how many how how In my upbringing as a Christian, uh, I was taught to hate the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and suddenly here's our verse that we quote over and over again and nobody ever heard it. Uh, It seemed like, um, what, what does it mean? How do we love the world the way God does?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question, John, um, I think, actually, in my own pondering of my heart and watching people who I know well enough to know, that the hardest thing we're asked to do in all of life is to know the world and still love the world. Hmm. It's to know the world and still love the world. Um, It's one thing to say, of course, I love so-and-so or such-and-such, but that's almost always in the abstract, And once you begin to actually step in and get closer, you realize it's harder to do. Once I really get to know you, you know, once I really get to know this place, that's harder because it's more complicated than isn't it? I didn't realize it'd be quite like that. You'd be quite like that, you know. Um, You know, this is kind of like this Hmm. is the beginning of the school year for lots of folks all over the place, and they're they've picked roommates or by Facebook. Connections or something like that or whatever they've done it and you know you know the story John for the next two or three or four weeks they might be pretty happy and then they realize this person never washes you know the dishes or never clean the bathroom or they leave the lights on all the time or whatever it's going to be you know a thousand things that can Mm -hmm. become to be. This compliment, you think, well, this was happy, you know, when we first started off last, you last month. But now, I don't really like you that much, actually. You talk all the time, or you <laughs> snore, or, you know, you never wash your sheets or your socks or whatever it is, you know. And if, in the, some ways, those are trivial, you know. Um, I mean, the way I put it to people who wonder why I would put it that way so strongly, I say, well, let me just ask you: Can your wife still know you and still love you? And then they think, well. I see what you're saying, because we realize that we are broken people, we're wounded people, we're messed up people, you know, and somebody who really begins to know us, can they love us? Well, that's that's a harder question, isn't it? Um, If you ratchet that up into the all of life and realize that, you know, it's a pretty hard thing to know Washington, D.C. and to still love Washington, D.C., you know, if you abstract, it's easy to say, I love Africa. You begin to get involved with Africa, like I have through my work over the years. You realize
1: it's a lot harder
0: because they're kind of like us, aren't they? They can be glorious, but they can also be shameful people, and they can be really interesting and wonderful people. They can also be selfish and greedy people, and you know it's messed Mm -hmm. up there, like it's messed up in you know Los Angeles, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And but that's just the way it is in the world. It's that way all over the world. So when the Bible says that God so. Loves the world. Well, you know, the deeper of meaning is that he knows the world and he loves the world. He chooses to love the world. He, you know, as my predecessor here at Regent College, J.I. Packer, says, you know, God took knowledge of us in love. He knew the worst about us when he chose to love us. So that no discovery now can disillusion him in the same way we're disillusioned about ourselves. Um, that's in the book, of course, mm. the classic book, Knowing God. Um, but yeah, you know, I would say at the heart of vocation, John, if this is my work at Regent, the heart of what vocation truly is is to to know the world and to still love the world, in and through the work of law, in and through the work of, world of, of education, in and through the work of of the arts, in and through the work of medicine, healthcare, in and through the work of you know agriculture, in and through the work of you know of whatever it's going to be actually. Um, it's to step in with your eyes wide open to say I know this and for God's sake you know, for God's sake, for love's sake I'm going to step in and care about this that's what vocation actually is wow. and so I that John 3 that. 16 verse uh, is, is to, is to yeah. say well God does know us he knows his world and surprise of all surprises amazing grace as it is he chooses to love this world
1: Wow. That is fantastic. You know, I I I have thought about that a lot in relationship to 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 relations uh relationships. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. knowing someone and and it's one thing to know someone but then, then to know them and love them. Of course is that that's that's why we get married. We finally find someone who knows the scoundrel that we yeah, are and loves that, us anyway. That that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, boy, boy, to have you apply that to the world—that's that just opens up a whole new door for me. That's wonderful uh, because it's—and it's, it's wonderful—but it's also, as you as you pointed out, it's very difficult. Um, but yeah. but at least it gives us a context in, in which to know the world, um, so that we we can love. And mm-hmm. understand and and, and and weep for people instead of judging them, and uh, um, yeah, that that's what I always appreciated so much about Schaefer is that you know mm-hmm. he he cried over the lostness of of people. Um, he really did love people in the world, and he saw that how trapped they were in their own thinking. And uh,
0: uh, so I, that's beautiful. Um, that well, same year, John, that um, I lived on, this, on the streets in Palo Alto with you, I hitchhiked across yep. America the next year and went to Labri in Europe. So I did spend some t- of my dropped-out years in the La Brie world with Sh- the Schaefer family and many others. Why am
1: I not surprised? That
0: deep it's a <laughs> plummeting experience for me, actually.
1: So yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, why am I not surprised at that? For sure you would do that. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I wish we had so much more time to talk. Um, We're getting to the close here, but I did want to ask you just a couple questions uh, about worldview. and um, Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are talking about worldview today, and – uh, I, I, it's a it's a term that we use, but I don't think we we know what we use it for, or we at least don't all agree or uh, have a definition. Um, how do you understand how important it is to to even to know what my worldview is? Is that where does that yeah. come to play into this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, again, it's a $1,000 question, John, with a lot of things we could talk about. Um, <laughs> maybe because we're just at the very end here, maybe I would just ask you to remember in that first of all, the Narnia stories, the magician's nephew. that tells the story of Uncle Andrew the magician and his nephew, Diggory. Um And when this Lewis tells the tale of the beginning, beginnings of Narnia and the lion's song and little bumps of begin become beavers and bigger bumps become bears and you know as we listen to the story Uncle Andrew the magician is terrified by the whole thing he can't stand any of it he hates all that he sees and hears he wants to get away and Diggory on the other hand the the nephew is entranced he just can't get enough of it he wants more and more the more he sees the more he hears the more he wants and at a certain point Lewis stops the story and he says this for what a person sees and hears Depends a good deal on where they're standing. It also depends on what sort of person mm. you are. And mm. you know, I've written books about these things, and many others have as well. But you know, in some ways, that's the the, the distinctness and different 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 difference between worldviews, between different views of the world. Um, we see and hear differently, not just because of ideas we hold, but because of who we are as human beings um and uh you know much of my work over the many over years has been on the on the relationship between belief and behavior and how how beliefs become behavior in someone 's life so you know that is a question hmm. about how does a world view become a way of life uh and of course, if you press into that more fully fully, you begin to ask the question well are there ways of are there worldviews which are which make for life and the ones which don't make for, for life, or for good life or not so mm. good life. And I would say that ideas I some not all not all ideas are equal. They're not all on the same plane really. They can't be. Some ideas actually are not good at all. You know? They're just not good. They're not good for human beings. And in a very, you know, pretend a society that pretends to be very tolerant, like like contemporary the contemporary West, um, you know, we play with tolerance and how liberal we are, to be used, yeah. not in a political sense, but, you know, the sense that I'm open to anything, actually. Um, and none of us are. At the end of the day, we all have p- places where the where the table c- top comes to an end. We say, well, you can't say that. You can't go there. You know, I don't agree with that, really. Um, and um, so for me, the question of worldview is not so much can I bounce – bounce somebody over the head with it. Can I beat you up because of your worldview? But it's it's always a question more of what do, what do you really care about? Because in my mind, that makes everybody be an interesting person as, as I meet them. Because we all have things we ah. care about. So rather than say, say to somebody, well, what's your worldview? I'm probably much more drawn to the trying to say, well, tell me more about who you are and why you're here and what you're doing here and what are the things that matter to you and, what are the things you care about? And you know, As St. Augustine taught us 1,500 years ago, the question, what do you love, is actually the most important of all the questions, more than the question of what do you believe. Um, Whoa. So when I'm getting to know people, I'm always going to be more interested in what do you really care about? What do you love? What, do you, what matters most to you? Because that's going to be the driver for everything else, actually. Um, But I would say it's always at the heart of a worldview, whatever the worldview is, whether it's varieties Mm -hmm. of pantheism, varieties of theism, or varieties of materialism. Um, All of us view the world differently, we do, of course. Um, But for me, the deepest and most important question is, well, you know, tell me about the things that you really care about, what things really matter to you. What are the things, what is it that you really love? And to get at that makes everybody be an interesting person.
1: Wow, Steve, this has been so nice, so wonderful. You, you know, uh, we have just scratched the surface of of uh, mm-hmm. my list of of things I wanted to talk to you about. So, will you will you do this again sometime? Will you come on again for mm-hmm. us and talk some more? With you, I will do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's that's rich, and that's wonderful, and um, I pray you have a tremendous second year at Regent. Um, I wish I could be in your class. I, I think that uh, these, these students are, are very lucky, uh, and uh, I just pray that uh, all goes well, and that uh, I know you'll be able to inspire people to think in differently, and to, uh, that must be amazing to think that um, uh, you can send out a whole a class of, of people who are, are going to make a difference um, much more than you could have maybe with a book or with a talk. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the day after day you spend with these students, that's, that's beautiful that uh, that will make a difference. It's really the closest thing we have to discipleship in a way, don't you think? It is. It
0: is quite profoundly so, John. That's right. That's
1: great. That's great. Well, God bless you, Steve. This was wonderful. And I will call you again. And uh, I'll also call you sometime when we can just catch up, you and I. Okay. <laughs> I'd love love to find out. Uh, more how things are going with you. So God bless. Thank you once again Thanks. for being with Good us. Good to be with you, John. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Great. Bye. Bye. Wow, that that was fabulous. Um, I hope you enjoyed that, and and I hope you will keep coming back and uh, you know get the catch, read up on it every day. We talk about. Stuff like this, we learn. I'll be writing about some of these things. You can believe next week because uh, my brother Steve has definitely inspired me here. So um, uh, keep up with us, and uh, we we've got some really interesting guests coming up, especially in the area of worldview. So don't don't uh, don't leave us, and uh, uh, stay tuned. Because uh, there's there's a a lot that will help us live our lives more fully in the world God bless you